Hey, podcast listeners, Ethan Millard and Alex Curie here from the Nightside Project podcast here at KSL Podcast. Get into Zen Headlines with us on the Nightside Project. Use hashtag Zen Headlines on social media to share stories that make you think, make you smile, spread love, spread joy, all those things. We'll share them on the Nightside Project podcast. One of the most popular podcasts ever. Nightside is a KSL podcast. Subscribe for free anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. Today on the show, we've got Teresa Drulard. As a leader, you're no longer paying people for their labor, really. You're paying people for their intellect and their creativity, and those things um, aren't freely given. Uh, The labor might be freely given. You can even tell them what the output is per hour, and they'll meet it. But if you want people to share their creativity with you, it requires creating a safe space, being inviting, being willing to listen. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. She's the executive director of the Manufacturer Extension Program at the University of Utah. Thanks for making time. No problem. Did I say it all right? Manufacturing Extension Partnership. You're very Dang close. It. Very, very close. It's a program. Okay. <laughs> so uh, for people who don't know that you are like Santa bringing free money, can you explain this program? Yes. Well, we're mostly Santa. But um, what we're looking for is we're looking for um, economic impact. So this program is part of the Department of Commerce, which means we're we're looking for growth and stability uh, in the economy for Utah. So we help manufacturers. We help them in whatever areas they need. And the areas that we're looking for impact are in their sales, in jobs, in increasing investment in the business, so the business themselves are more robust, and in any cost savings that we can uh, obtain for them. And the way it works is a client is trying to, or manufacturer is trying to make some improvement, and we see how we can offset the cost of that improvement with our funds. Sure. So uh, give us some examples. Well, there are a lot of uh, food manufacturers in Utah, so we work with them to get certifications that allow them to sell to larger markets so that they can increase their sales and add to headcount. 
Um, another thing we might do is if a company is already growing but they don't have enough space, we'll help them redo their layout or make some changes in their layout so they have more floor space and they can increase and add more equipment. Um, so that saves them cost of not having to add additional infrastructure or purchase another building. Um, another thing we might do is just teaching them how to do operational efficiency methodologies, uh, lean or shingo, and um, help them apply that so that they can have cost savings and be more efficient in the work that they do. And so I want to, because we talked about this, I don't know, a couple of months ago before you went on your awesome bike, mountain biking trip to the Great White North. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, I'm just thinking, we just we recently had the guys on the show who invented fiber fix and KT tape, and they've got, I don't know, 30 things that they manufacture and put in stores, okay? Yep. They want to sell in some country that's saying, hey, you have to have this certification to sell in our country. Exactly. Tell, they call you and they say, hey, we want to sell more. How yep. can you help? What do you say? So if it's a certification that we're familiar with, one that we often hear is ISO 9001. Um, that's something that we can actually help them do a gap analysis, audit on their floor, and, and see exactly how close they are to being capable to be certified. And then help them become capable, and then they'll have to go to a certifying body and actually get audited by that certifying body. It could be a different type of certification depending upon what product it is they're selling and where they're going. And so we can also find a, a third party, a consultant that's an expert in that certification, and we can um, connect them and then apply funds to reduce the cost of using that third party. And just to give people a gauge, what's the range on how much, you know, between the federal and the state and all this kind of stuff, What what is the range of what can be... Yeah, it really depends. I mean, we see savings of around 10% to 30% typically. So it depends upon whether they're using us or whether they're using a third party, and it depends upon how expensive the third party is. Some specialists are um, well-known and in high demand, and they can be, if they have a really specialized area, they can be difficult to get at a reasonable price. So then the funding doesn't go as far. Also, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Skillshare. They're doing a promo for us. For everybody listening to the show, it's skillshare.com slash leader, where they're going to let anybody get two months of access to their 18,000 classes for just 99 cents uh, at that code, skillshare.com slash leader. And I think for me, one of the reasons that I like Skillshare and, and probably like the classes that are most attractive to me are the really high credibility ones. Like you can learn email marketing from MailChimp. I mean, these are the guys that make $500 million a year sending email out for their customers. They've got the data. They've, they're they legitimate experts on the subject. And as I'm getting advice, I know that I should be building my list better than I am. That's the kind of people that I want to get my advice from. And, and you can get it right there on those classes. One last time, uh, if you want that 99 cents for the two months, it's skillshare.com slash leader. Sure. Um, and so let, let's talk about a little bit what you were doing before you came here to run this. For the sure. Year. Go ahead. So my background is in manufacturing, um, about 15 years in operations and um, some time in uh, supply chain and some time in quality and regulatory. Um, I've worked in semiconductors. I worked in uh, for National Semiconductor and Fairchild Semiconductor for about 10 years. Um, got tired of laying people off and decided to go into other industries. So um, started exploring other industries, worked for a couple of startups, which was really interesting. I learned a lot there. And um, then ended up in the medical device and medical equipment manufacturing industry. Um, so I've spent my whole career in manufacturing. I really like it. 
And um, I think there's lots of ways to make improvements and be more efficient. And I do like the idea of manufacturing in the USA. Yeah. Um, so you have a real background in lean and operational excellence. And, um, you know, the startup community, those are really cool words, lean, right? They are. In a lot of the rest of the world, there's people who have used it more like a weapon yep. as, you know, I, I was talking to a medical guy recently and we were, you know, we were talking about, hey, we've got, we're a Shingo affiliate. I've got these guys who did it for Boeing and whoever that worked for us, right? Yeah. And um, he said, ah, you know, I, I don't know about those programs. It seems like a, it seems like the label people put it on when they're about to lay people off. Right. I'm just like, what? Yeah. I have seen it used that way. So typically when I talk to companies, I, I do sort of make them agree that if we're going to find some efficiencies and we're going to reduce the labor content, that doesn't mean that they're going to do layoffs. It means that we're going to apply that labor somewhere else. And usually there's a way for that to work really well. Um, so I have seen it, have seen it used in that negative way, but really if the heart of lean is all about respect for people. And so you would never, if you were a true lean uh, practitioner, you would never consider laying off uh, your valuable asset, which is your people. Um, you would find other value added areas for them to be contributing. You would cross train them. You would expand your business even before you would decide to lay them off. You know, I feel like just our consulting work over the last few years, we, we see a lot of different types of organizations, you know, military, government, nonprofit, for profit, right? Yeah. And I hear a lot of executives talk a good game about mm -hmm. people are our asset, right? Right. But then I feel like going to Japan with Shingo and actually it wasn't even Toyota or Honda as much as some of their suppliers mm -hmm. where we actually were sitting there with the CEO talking about we lost 70% of our orders during 2008 and so we had a big meeting. Hey, we, we just actually don't have the money to pay everyone. So yeah. do you guys want to vote that we should lay people off and hopefully you make it or does everybody want to band together and we'll figure out how to weather this storm together kind of thing. And anyways, I was like really, really inspired with a number of these site visits over there of people walking the walk of respecting their people instead of just putting it on a poster in the hallway. Right. Like the CEO talked about his 80% personal pay cut during that time and yep. these kind of things, you know? Yep. So I, I think culturally um, Americans are, are very individualistic and um, tend to be a little more competitive and not as uh, not as much a team player as they'd like to say they are. Um, so it can be a little bit harder for our culture to embrace this idea of sacrificing for the whole. Um, and in a in a lean culture, and even in a culture where you say that, that people are your best asset or your most valuable asset, then I think you you need to be willing to to do that tough that tough um, self-evaluation, that tough self-assessment, and say, um, what are we willing to sacrifice to make sure that we maintain people as our most valuable asset and we aren't just willing to divest of them as soon as it looks like the financials aren't going to come out as good as we had hoped. Um, it takes a very long view, I think, a commitment to a long-term view, a commitment to the people, a commitment to creativity, uh, thinking about how else you could um, answer the question of what are we going to do? Um, so I, I think it's, uh, it's a, it's a really hard position for most companies. It's much easier to just reduce the labor and get the easy, easy savings. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people talk about people, the people in their company being the most valuable asset, but then they very easily will lay them off. And that's unfortunate. Um, it'd be nice to see a little more open-minded view 
um, digging a little deeper to see what other solutions are. And I know it's not easy. Uh, obviously, I, I worked in semiconductors. We had layoffs every 18 to 24 months. Um, so I know that some industries are a lot more difficult and more challenging than others. And of course, most people think their industry is the most challenging. Um, but the truth of it is that every company uh, deals with these cycles of really positive um, business and then maybe more a little less positive business. And um, laying off people should not be the first or second or even third choice. So I think um, the willingness for upper management to cut their salary, willingness for the entire company to consider ways to save, it's, that, that says a lot about where, where, you, uh, where you really value people or not. Well, you know, one of the guys who I feel like has been a personal mentor to me in this space is um, from another Utah company, O.C. Tanner. Do you know huh? Gary Peterson? I don't know him personally, but I'm very familiar with O.C. Tanner. So he's one of my favorite episodes we've had on the show, and uh-huh. um, I've been lucky enough to spend a, quite a bit of time with him different times. But he, uh, I feel like he really embodies this idea of the two-way street of like, hey, if you want staff to bring their discretionary effort to work, like that you're talking about creativity, like the stuff that you can't put on a checklist, right? If you want them to bring that, what are you willing to offer to invite them to want to bring that? Because you can't really force it out of them. No, you cannot. So I think, and that, and that leads us to um, some topics we've talked about before, about this humble inquiry and respecting people, and um, how you, as a leader, you're no longer paying people for their labor, really. You're paying people for their in- intellect and their creativity, and those things um, aren't freely given, Uh, The labor might be freely given. You can even tell them what the output is per hour, and they'll meet it. But if you want people to share their creativity with you, it requires creating a safe space, being inviting, being willing to listen. Um, These aren't always attributes that you see with our top leaders. So um, it does require thinking about leadership in a different kind of way. And it's not always easy. And even for uh, folks that are used to a more traditional setting, they may wonder why their manager is approaching them in this way um, may not understand why they're asking me my opinion. I mean, don't they already know the answer? Um, They're the boss. Right, exactly. (laughs) But I think um, once you start getting your organization used to this idea of a two-way communication channel, um, not only providing information and structure, so that your folks understand what's going on with the business, but then also providing a channel or a way of communicating back up so that they can tell you what their ideas are, where they think we're doing well or where we could do better. So I feel like I'm just thinking about so many organizations I've been, you know, site visits or, you know, advise different leaders from that would be very quick to claim two-way communication, Uh right? But then I think about the people who live what you're talking about, and I feel like that doesn't quite encapsulate. Like, I think I know what you mean about, like, literal, like, everybody knows that every idea they put in the suggestion box will actually get considered and that they're likely going to get tried out, and maybe the rest of the team is going to vote that they don't want it anymore, you know, but you get a a one-shift tryout or something on it, right? Exactly. Um, no wonder people don't bring their brain to work, right? They save their creativity for the side business they're starting or the next career they want to go on to. Exactly. When, when management says something like, we want to hear your ideas, right? and they, they finally come up with a good one, and not only does it not get implemented, nobody even recognizes that right. it was put in in the first place. Right. 
Like it, it may as you may well have not put it in. Like nobody did anything about it. Nobody talked about it. Right. Nobody even acknowledged it was submitted. Right. Right. Yeah, that does happen frequently. Um, and so I think you know the thing for for leaders and managers to be thinking about is um, how often am I asking questions rather than telling? And when I ask, do I actually stop and listen? And when I do stop and listen, is my next response uh, something supportive? Or something that sort of uh, makes a judgment on what they just said. So, oh, we already tried that, or that wouldn't work, or yeah, they tried that in the such and such plant and it didn't work, or um, or or is the response something like, okay, what would that look like if we piloted it? Um, tell me more about how that would work. Um, tell me about this issue with it. I'm thinking about this one particular problem. How are you thinking that we would address that? So, really asking questions, really listening, and then giving them a chance to pilot it in a safe construct, right? Um, and so there's a lot of, I think, fear from leaders uh, of things going, getting out of control or not working well, and then they'll get fired because everything uh, went sideways. But, but I, I think you, you, know, you create an environment where you can test things out in a safe way that's not going to ruin the business or impact your clients, and, and you, let, you let your people play, and you let them have some creativity and um, input into the business, and then they're engaged. And then they don't say their creativity for their side, their side business. I, I remember going on these tours when I first started getting into this world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is like a whole different sport. This is like, this is like a martial art for business. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It really isn't. It requires lots and lots of practice. When you think about martial arts, my son's actually testing for his black belt next month. When you think about the, what, what discipline? Uh, taekwondo. So you think about the, the number of hours that go into practicing and practicing and practicing. And so when managers are saying, um, or when I talk to VPs or presidents of companies and they say, we're really struggling with this lean, we've been working on it for three years. And I think, well, you're just getting started. I mean, it's okay to be struggling still at three years. That's okay. Um, It's going to take many years to be a very good practitioner at this. But name, name something that is of really high value that doesn't take meaningful repetitions. Right, exactly. Exactly. It should take time. It's not easy to do. It's a great thing to, to be a master at. If you were a master at you know, operational excellence, your company would be so good. It would be unbeatable almost. Again, ex- echoing what you're saying, right? I remember Gary, was, Gary Peterson from OC10 when he was on the show. He was talking about a process that they're still doing now from when he started, when he first got his job at the company 20-something years ago. Yeah. It was a 28-day turnaround. Yeah. Okay. And we had him on the show probably a year ago right now. And uh, they had gotten that, they'd cut it down and down over time. Yep. They had it down to a 60-minute turnaround. Yeah. Over 20 years, right? Exactly. I went to a conference in the spring. Uh-huh. He was telling the same story. They have it down to like a 21-minute turnaround. Yep. In one year, he dropped it by two-thirds yep. again, yeah. right? Everybody brings their brain to work. Everybody is on the goal. And it's like a, I don't know, it's like a form of mastery that these people are constantly thinking. Right. And it's funny because everybody would want their staff thinking, how can the company make more money? Uh-huh. But it's like a game for the staff, yeah. right? And, and I think that that's why I use the word playful. Because when you are when you're respectful with your employees and you're listening to your employees and you're letting them unleash their creativity, it really does become very energizing and fun for them. And I've seen the same thing where you take a process and it, maybe it took us 90 days to do uh, like RMA, return material authorization, 90 days to do it. So hold on. 
in the story. So give people a little context. What what industry, what are you returning? So I was working for a medical equipment manufacturer, and I was responsible for the RMA process, that department. So returned, um, returned equipment that either was in warranty or out of warranty. And uh, we the ones that were in warranty, we were trying to very quickly to return to the company. It could be to the company that sent it to us. It could be anywhere in the world. Um, so we had a deadline of, I think it was like 30 days was our target. And we were, you know, averaging 75 as much as 90 days. And so we were obviously not meeting the target. And we, we did a lean initiative and we were able to bring it right down to the 30 days. No problem. We hit that target. And I thought, wow, that was pretty easy. And can you just give a little context of what's an example of some things you did that made that possible? Sure. So one of the things that we found that was a delay is that the um, the uh, the equipment was having to be handled several times before it actually got to the department that was going to do the work. So we found a way to streamline it so that it would go directly to the department that was going to do the work. Another thing that's... And is that just structurally said, hey, instead of passing this off to these people... We're just gonna. It's just gonna give this card. We're gonna stamp it all once and just send it over. Like, what does that mean? Reducing the people. Uh, reducing, reducing the, the number of people that touched it. So that was giving the client, the or the customer, the right instructions of where to send it. So don't send it to this location. Send it to this other location. And so it doesn't have to be transferred from one truck to another truck, and then over to another building, and then unload it again. Um, so it's just getting it to the right building to start with, uh, which again, pretty simple. The next, uh, the next big savings we found was the information would go to uh, information about the return would go to the customer service department, and then that would be printed and that would be put into a file. And then sometime weeks later, when the equipment would show up on our dock, um, and then get delivered to the worker who was going to do the work on the piece of equipment, the repair work, um, they wouldn't know exactly what was wrong with it. So they would have to wait for that paperwork. They'd have to request the paperwork from the customer service department, and then those people would hand carry it back. Usually, you know, once every morning they'd hand carry everything back. So, you know, the the time delay was just ridiculous. So we decided um, we would just create electronic folders for that particular serial number of equipment, and when it came in, the service tech could just open up the folder with the right serial number. Yeah, more than a day actually, Mm. but yeah, easily. Um, so, and then we started to think about, okay, is there a way for us to flag which ones of these things will be an easy fix and which one will be a harder fix so that we can prioritize those easy fix and get them out of the queue quickly, um, have dedicated service techs that were good at certain things and could easily troubleshoot and get them through, um, create standardized work so that people had checklists to use so they could more quickly assess the equipment when it came in and see exactly what was wrong with it. So they spent less time troubleshooting. So all these kinds of things just reduce the time, reduce the time, reduce the time. And that was just one pass through. We could have kept working on that process just like O.C. Tanner did, right? And we probably could have gotten it down much, much shorter than it, than even the 30 days. 30 days was meeting our target, but I think we could have done a lot better than that if we kept going. Yeah. Well, we're about out of time for for part one of the episode here. But um, I want to talk about checklists. You know, in the next <laughs> one, I want to talk about checklists. Do you know this book, The Checklist Manifesto? I do, yes. I love this book, right? Yeah. Um, and anyways, the the inner investor in me from back from my days running the private equity fund, like when I start hearing these stories, I'm like, do you realize how much we win the game if you can get this to start happening across a company? Uh-huh. Right? Right. So lots of uh, lots of manufacturers... Um, talk about lean, and then I'll hear other company service providers say, well, but you're, these are all manufacturing examples. We need service examples. And I think to myself, 
Manufacturing has a lot of administrative transactional service type functions. They should be using lean in those areas too. Um, and then there'd be tons of examples, even from manufacturing to share. Well, and let's talk about some of those on the next one. Okay. okay. So, so manu- anybody who is a manufacturer in Utah wants to know if they might qualify for some of these grants or they would like to sell in other countries. And if you guys are willing to help them yeah. expand their revenue, yeah. they want to talk to you, right? So they should go to your website, www.mep.utah.edu. Yeah. Um, now the manufacturing extension partnership outside of Utah, uh-huh. where in other states, where should people look? Yeah, you can just Google MEP Washington, MEP Oregon, um, and it'll come up. So Oregon's is OMEP. Um, But every single state has one, and you just Google the state and MEP, it'll come up. Okay, great. Yep. Okay, everybody tune back in for part two. We're going to get more (laughs) of these stories. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and... Trent Mano. I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.